In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our community feels very fragmented. And I'm not going to talk about different political views or COVID or any of that. Just the fact that right now we have so few people in this church and so few people in the North Fellowship Hall. And then at the next liturgy, it's a different rotation of different people. When we had the General Assembly last Sunday, there were some who said, this is the first time I've seen your face in eight months. Of course, I as the priest see all of you, but for the rest of you, our community feels very fragmented because we're not able to all be together as one body in Christ. I feel kind of like a Roman Catholic priest. I'm here with my 8 a.m. mass, the community of the 8 a.m. mass people. And then I'm with my community of the 10 a.m. mass people. Then I'm with my community of the 5 p.m. on Saturday night mass people. This is not orthodoxy. We have one communion, one chalice, one liturgy per day because we are one community. But that said, the uh, exigencies of the time have necessitated that we have this anomaly. But it's important for us to recognize how things should be because even now we need to be striving for that. We are still one community, even though some are watching online, even though some are in other rooms, some are going to another church because that's where they could go to a liturgy. We are still one community, even if it doesn't feel like that. It's so important that we recognize this and come back to this and make this our center, central focus because we have an enemy whose name is the divider. His job, his goal, his aim is to divide each and every one of us against each other. And it doesn't even have to involve outright conflict. We might not even talk about political differences or differences in views on the virus or any of that. Just the fact of being separated from each other means there's that tendency towards being separated from each other spiritually as well. Because the divider is always at work. He is always working to try and bring about more division within the church. And when we have distance, it's easier to judge, it's easier to condemn. You know, you think of your family, let's say, you have extended family that lives off at a geographical distance. It's easier to come to conclusions about certain little conversations or a little interaction or an email that was worded this way, it's easier to come to conclusions that are harmful and are wrong because of the distance. It's not even that there is any sort of division, but because of the fact of the distance, the division is something that is more inclined. And we can have this in our community if we're not careful, because even the church is not immune to condemnations and judgments against others. St. Paisio says this, even in conversations, spiritual conversations, we must be careful because sometimes they begin as spiritual conversations and end up as gossip. And it is not only that we are wasting our time, we are also wasting our souls when condemning someone else, for we have no right to judge other people or other situations. We must be careful because this can happen within our own parish community 
where we hear that someone said something or someone had a particular view or whatever it may be. And because we're not here face to face, having communion together, having fellowship together, talking to each other, those little cracks can appear. In the midst of all of this time of fragmentation within our society, and within our church, we receive this epistle from St. Paul. He says towards the end of the epistle, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who is above all and through all and in all. He had a lot of repetition there about oneness. There is only one. And what this means is that there can't be two. I know that sounds really obvious. But there can't be two. What that means is there cannot be division if it's the one body. How can one part of the body and the other part of the body be at disagreement and still be a part of the same body? You see how incredibly important it is to fight for unity. Our geographical separation from each other, again, is a cause of division in and of itself. So the question is, how do we remain united? I've been belaboring this point of how united we must be because we have all of these separations between us. St. Paul gives us the answer very clearly at the beginning of his epistle. He says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all lowliness and meekness, with patience, forbearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's given us our equation, exactly what we need to do to maintain unity in the Spirit and the bond of peace. He said we need to live a life worthy of our calling, with lowliness, with meekness, with patience, forbearing one another, and eager to maintain unity. In another place, in Colossians, St. Paul says almost the exact same thing, word for word. This is in Colossians 3. He says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another... Even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. So he adds that one additional, which is forgiving as well. We could add that to our list. So how do we do all of these things? Well, the first that he mentions is being worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Leading a life that is worthy. That word worthy, that's what we say in ordinations. When a person is ordained, we say worthy or axios. What does it mean to be worthy? It means that what you have agreed to, you are doing. What you have decided to do, you are doing. As opposed to what you have decided to do to be a Christian, you're not doing. So worthiness has to do with our effort, what we are putting into it. And of course, we can always put the caveat, none of us are truly worthy. But that's what we're striving towards. And God, in his grace, gives us worthiness. So the second that St. Paul says is with all lowliness. And that word really that, that he uses, tapinofrosinis, is the word humility. 
In this translation, it's translated as lowliness. With all lowliness, with all humility. Humility is where we place ourselves below others. Humility is where we are so aware of our own weakness, our own struggles, our own sins and temptations, that we don't have time to look at other people's sins and other people's shortcomings and failings. The humble person does not judge. The humble person does not condemn. The humble person is a person who places themselves below other people in love. In love. And this is the example of Christ, who washed his disciples' feet. He was the one that showed that to be the master is to be the servant. And he is the one who has given us this example in his life. He also says in the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ himself is the example of humility. So if we desire to be Christians, we must be humble. The next that St. Paul says is with all meekness. And meekness or gentleness, you could use either word in that context. What is meekness? Because the Bible talks a lot about meekness. Apparently the meek will inherit the earth. This is what our Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And again in Psalm 37, through the prophet David, he says, The meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So we hear also in that psalm that being meek brings about an abundance of peace. So what is it to be meek? To be meek is to be docile, to be peaceful, peacemakers. The animal we always think of in terms of meekness is a little lamb. One who is incapable of causing vengeance or violence. This is what meekness is. And St. Paul says in Corinthians, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence I am lowly among you. Christ is the one who is meek. And as he said in the Gospel of Matthew about himself being meek, he is the one who will give rest to us because he is meek and humble. Meekness has this aspect also of kind of like an innocence, a guilelessness, a purity. And that purity is impervious to division. St. Paisio says this, the pure see everything as pure. And he's quoting indirectly from Titus, where it says, to the pure all things are pure. St. Paisio says, the pure see everything as pure. There is nothing impure. Even when thrown into the mire, the pure will remain pure, like the rays of sun, which no matter where they fall, remain bright and pure. When a man or a woman's heart is purified, then Christ comes to dwell in it, and then they no longer scandalize others, nor are they scandalized by others. Rather, they transmit grace and reverence. The person who is careful to maintain his spiritual purity also preserves divine grace. Then he sees everything in the light of purity and is also able to utilize the impure for good and spiritual purposes. Now listen to his analogy here. This good work of spiritual transformation is accomplished in his good spiritual factory. This is the, the soul of a pure person. 
Useless papers are turned into clean and useful paper napkins, writing pads, and so on. Old and broken bronze objects are turned into candlesticks and candle stands. In contrast, the person who accepts deviousness and thinks deviously, the person who is impure, will turn even good things into bad, like the factories which make ammunitions. They will turn even gold into bullets and shells, because that is what their machines are made for. What is our machine made for? What is our soul like? What is the fertile ground within our soul? Is it that which sees people's wicked and intents and always condemns people and judges them? Or is that which is to the pure, all things are pure? We see the goodness in all things. We see the goodness in all people. So meekness is the next that St. Paul describes. And after that, he says, patience. And that word patience, makrothimias, it has an aspect of, of long-suffering or forbearing. It comes from the word thimos, which is anger, and then uh, makra, which means, literally it can mean far away, but you can think of it as one who is slow to anger. A person who doesn't easily come to being upset is patient. And so he is calling us to patience, which means that we will suffer long. This is the word that we use, if you remember, in Holy Week, on Holy Thursday, the only time of the year at the end of the Gospel readings, instead of saying, glory to you, O Lord, glory to you, we say, glory to your forbearance, O Lord, glory to you. And that's that same word, because God himself ultimately is the one who is long-suffering. He is the one who is waiting and waiting and waiting through all of our sin, through all of our foibles. He is the one that is patient above all else. And so if our Lord is patient, then we too must be patient with the sins of others. And so St. Paul continues giving us our prescription for unity. He says, next to forbear forbearing one another in love. And you see how he used a word that's like the word just before. The word just before could also be translated as forbearance. But this one is, it's really about people who are holding fast, who in, this, in the face of struggles are holding fast. So what would the struggle be? The struggle would be, my brother just, I watched him sin. He even sinned against me. How am I going to hold on to the bond of unity and love with my brother when I'm seeing this? This is the holding fast. This is where we have to fight. We have to fight to maintain unity because the evil one will throw sins in our face, the sins of others, of course. The sins of ourselves, he'll probably try to hide from us so that we can focus on the sins of others. So as much as we see the sins of others because the devil is the one trying to bring this about before us, then we have to fight, we have to hold fast, forbearing one another in love, as St. Paul says. And then I'll throw in the, the, the word that he gave us in his epistle to the Colossians, forgiving. As he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. We must forgive. Because we will see sin, we will have sin enacted against us. We must forgive. But the final part is the most important. This is what he finishes with. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is St. Nectarios' definition of the church. He says, the church is a community of people united 
in the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace. So he's saying what St. Paul says here, this is what the church is. People who are eager to maintain unity. That word eagerness should really jump out to us. How eager are we to maintain unity? How eager are we rather to point out problems of others, divisions, condemnations, judgments? How eager are we for that instead? But that's not what St. Paul says. He says, eager to maintain the unity in the spirit, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You see, peace only comes from unity. We can't have peace without unity. And all the times that we talk about peace, we must recognize unity is implied. Unity is the precursor to having peace. St. Paul is very clear in his epistle today about the prescription that we need right now. We need this again. I'm not even talking about the divisions of people having differences of opinions and things like that. I'm just simply talking about the fact that we can't stand together in one room as an entire community. And for months this has been the case. And for months, this likely will be the case. So what can we do right now to be eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? What can we do? We can be lowly. We can lead a life worthy of our calling. We can be meek. We can be patient. We can forbear one another. We can forgive one another. Because there is a danger if we don't do these things. And that danger is... What I mentioned earlier about when we have a family member who sends a random email and we say, oh, what does that mean? What is this person trying to say? They're upset with me. We read all kinds of things into it. This is what can happen in our own community. I'll finish with a final quote from St. Paisios. He says, if we are in a family with six, he says, why should anyone be scandalized by others if we are in a family with six or eight siblings and one or two of them is led into error by Satan, would it scandalize you? And the person he's talking to says, no, I would grieve, for they are my brother and sister. And he says, well, then, the evil is within us. We have no love, and for this reason, we do not consider all people our brothers and sisters and are scandalized by them. We are all one big family and are brothers and sisters among ourselves, for we are all children of God. If we truly feel that we are brothers with all human beings, we will care for those who fall into sin and will not be scandalized by their sin, but will instead pray for them with pain. Therefore, if we are scandalized, the evil is within us, not outside. So when I see something that makes me go, oh my goodness, that person did that? That person said that? I can't believe that just happened. Everything that I'm describing right now is my problem not the problem of the person doing or saying whatever. I am the one that is scandalized. Instead, my response should be, Lord, have mercy. Let me pray. Because I'm eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He continues, Therefore, if we are scandalized, the evil is within us, not outside. When you feel scandalized, you should ask yourself, how many do I scandalize? In God's name, shouldn't I tolerate my brother or sister? How does God tolerate me with all the things I do? 
Think of God, of the Panagia, of the angels, who look upon all the people of the earth as if standing on a balcony and looking down on a plaza. They see some stealing, others fighting, still others sinning, and so on. How does God tolerate them all? How is it that he can tolerate all the evil and all the sin on earth, and we cannot tolerate even one brother or sister? It is awful. We must be eager to maintain the unity. Because if we are not eager, the evil one will get in, the evil one will stir up problems and will cause scandals and people to be upset with each other. We are the ones who can be scandalized or not be scandalized. We are the ones who can seek patience, humility, forbearance, so that we can maintain that unity. Because through this, our bond can become stronger, not weaker. And I admit to you, over these past months, the bond within our church community has weakened. But now is the time that we can turn that around. Now is the time that we can say, enough with this. We are still one body. We are still one chalice. We are still one community in Christ. We are still one body. One, 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 as St. Paul says. We must maintain this so that when we come out of this time of struggle, we will be strengthened, renewed, invigorated body of Christ that can more greatly shine the light of Christ within the world. Amen. Let us all say with our whole song, with our whole mind, let us say. Lord Almighty God of our fathers, we pray to you, hear us 